Good to see you this morning. Um, I don't know how many of you, any of you work puzzles? Anybody works puzzles here? All three of you. Okay, thank you. Good. Great illustration today, Bill. Um, I don't know if you ever worked a puzzle before, but um, one of the most frustrating things a few years ago, my mom was working, she works puzzles, and we go to Virginia to visit our family sometime, and uh, when we get there, uh, mom will have a puzzle out on a table. And I remember one year she had this puzzle out there, and she didn't have the top, the box top there. She had this, like, thousand-piece puzzle and no picture. You ever tried to work a, pic- a puzzle without a picture? Especially, no, I'm not talking about the nine-piece ones. You know, I know parents are preschoolers. I mean, y'all can do that. I know that. But I'm talking about these really ones with, like, thousands of pieces and everything. Uh, it's kind of like that sometimes with, uh, with Scripture. Uh, sometimes we come and we, we, have, we, we really don't have an understanding of what the big picture is. And so what we've been doing and what we began the process of doing last week and, and going through what we call the story is to help you to see the big picture, to see what the, the box top looks like so you can fit the individual pieces together. Because each week what we do is we come here together as, as believers and, and as people who are seeking and finding you know, who, who God is. And, and what we do is we take up and we hold up really and literally a piece of the puzzle and we talk about that one piece of the puzzle. And it may be a piece out of a book in the New Testament, a book in the Old Testament. And we take it and we examine it and we look at it. But the question is, how do we, how do we place it in the context of the overall um, big picture? And that's what we're trying to do with this story with as we talk about the story over the next several weeks and months uh, because how do we put together the 66 books of the bible the 1089 chapters that are there the 775,000 words that are that are found in scripture how does that all fit together into um, into a big picture well this year what we want to do is we want to see the big picture at, at the same time what we're going to do is examine some of the smaller pieces of the puzzle as well Today we're going to talk about chapter 2 of the story. Uh, how many of you read chapter 2 this week? Anybody read chapter 2? Bunch of you. Great, great. You're all ahead. Uh, so you know what I'm talking about. You can get up and go home now. Okay? Not really. Uh, but the issue is, is that chapter 2 talks about how God builds a nation. And the piece of the puzzle we're going to talk about today, really there's a whole bunch of characters in chapter 2 that we read about. Chapters, uh, characters like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Lot and Benjamin and, uh, Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Leah and Rachel and Rebecca. All those characters are there. And we could talk about a lot of characters, but today we're going to focus on the main character of chapter two of the story. And that is the character, his name is Abram. Abraham. And Abraham, uh, we're going to focus on him because basically his story takes up about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. But he's also mentioned 75 times in the New Testament. He's a well-mentioned uh, well character in Scripture. And when we think about what it is today as we're going to look at it, it wasn't that he was mentioned so much because of his credentials or because of his qualifications. Uh, and that's not what got God's attention for him. But there is something about Abraham that explains how God used him and chose him to build a nation. It was really about, we're going to talk about today, about Abraham's faith and how God used that as an integral part of the story. Now, kind of tying in last week and this week. Last week we kind of ended at chapter chapter uh, nine ten of of Genesis, which was with Noah and the flood and God starting all over again. And between chapter chapter ten and chapter twelve and chapter eleven, basically, I want to let you know there's been basically a thousand years. There's a thousand years of time between chapter ten and chapter twelve. 
And basically chapter 11, if you read it in Genesis, is basically uh, 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 genealogy and it talks about a whole bunch of things that happened to kind of bring it from the time of Noah when God started all over with Noah to the time now we come up to the time where we, we start talking in chapter 12 about, about Abraham and his story. And so that's where we are today. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you each week to do, uh, you can bring your, you can bring your, uh, storybook or you can, I'd encourage you to bring your Bible also because I don't really know what page I'm going to be reading the scripture from that's, uh, in your storybook, but I do want know what chapter and verse it is in scripture. So this morning in Genesis is chapter 12, beginning with verse one, we're going to look at a few passages there and then we're going to talk about some other things that are there. And you've, if you've read the story this week, you've read all these passages in chapter 12, verses one through three. This is what it says about the story of Abraham. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then over in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, it continues the story and it says this. And talking as he continues this conversation with Abram, God and Abraham talking, he says he took him, God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now this story seems kind of strange because in a real sense there seems to be some some problems. Number one, if God's going to build a great nation and to be a follower of his, you would think he would find somebody that has a great history of, of his family being people who were followers of God. But as we know in scripture, actually over in the book of Joshua, we read that Abraham's father, Terah, was an, was an idol worshiper. Possibly even not only an idol worshiper, but somebody who actually made idols as well. He was somebody who followed a different God, it says, uh, in, there as well. And so Abraham did not grow up in a God-believing home. And so God, that's the first strike against him. But secondly, and he's getting ready to build a nation, uh, th- the biggest thing that we know about uh, what, what makes Abraham and his wife Sarah uh, the people that would be not the people we would choose to be the people to lead a, and, to, and to build a great nation is that they were elderly people at this time. Abraham was probably around 75. Uh, Sarah was probably around 65 at the time of this, of this whole, of this thing going on. But it's interesting because as we read this here, this, uh, we're, we're really looking at the upper story and the lower story. We talked about this last week. The whole time as we look at the story, the lower story being the story of Abraham, we're looking at what God is doing. What is tr- God trying to do? Where is he trying to lead us? A- and the upper story is this God's pursuit and, and redemption of the world. And it's on display in chapter 2 because here's the master builder and architect, God, and he takes things into his own hands. Remember a- Adam and Eve, uh, he created. Everything was perfect. They sinned. They messed up. God decided he was going to start all over later on with Noah. And basically through the first chapter, just it only took one chapter of the story for us to understand that if we leave mankind to their own devices, we will mess up. We can't carry out God's plan on our own uh, uh, devices. But in chapter 2 of the story, we begin to read, though, that God has this grand plan and it comes together. And the two key words that will form the basis of this entire chapter is these, these two words, I will. God says, I will. I will. Not you're going to do it, but I will. God says, I will. He says it uh, several times there. Uh, he says to, to Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. You see, man's promises to follow God 
to be faithful, have about as much street credibility as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And you know what I mean. Because uh, we have demonstrated already in chapter 1 our fickleness in following God. We obey God when it's convenient, but we ditch Him when it's not. But this time, there will be no ifs. Because God begins to demonstrate that the plan that He has is not based upon what our requirements, what our, what our abilities are. He says, God says, I will do this. I will make sure that it happens. And when God says it, it happens. And so God says, I will make your descendants into a great nation. I will give you a land in which to dwell. And I will bless all the nations through the nation of Israel. He says all those things. So why would God use an infertile, elderly couple to populate a nation? I didn't mention that. I mean, they've been trying to have kids. I mean, this, this was not something that they had not tried. And they'd been trying for a long time. And now they're elderly couple. Why would God do that? You know, if, if God had worked by a committee, uh, you know, if he pulled a committee of angels together and they said, okay, who are we going to make to have to be this, uh, to start a great nation? They would probably look down and say, well, let's, let's take that couple over there in Germantown Hills who, uh, who, who, who are runners. I mean, they're young, they're fit, you know, they're, they're, they have a history of following God. You know, they even run half marathons or something, you know, crazy like that. You know, that's the kind of couple we need. But God would have looked over and he said, I'm sorry, guys, that's not who I have in mind. Let's go up to Snyder Village. <laughs> and let's pick an elderly and fertile couple. <laughs> Can you get the picture? I mean, literally, that's almost exactly what's happening right there. That God says, he, he, wants, he does this. Why does God do, do this? Because he uses imperfect people, often the least likely, because he wants to bring glory to himself. And this is the beginning of a trend which we will see throughout all of Scripture. That God does this over and over and over again. He uses the most unlikely of people to accomplish His purpose. I mean, Abraham was old. Isaac was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was a slave. Moses stuttered. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. Mary was a poor teenage girl. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Um, Peter was impulsive. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. And Thomas had his doubts. And Paul was in poor health. And Timothy was timid. And the list goes on and on. But that's the list of the people that God used. God chooses over and over. The question is why? Why does God do that? Why would God use this long list of imperfect misfits to accomplish his purpose? Why would God use an infertile elderly couple to populate a nation? Because that's what God does. He uses imperfect people to bring himself glory. And the upper story that we'll be looking at throughout is this, this story about how all the glory of God and how God chooses the least likely people because what it does is God can shine through most, most effectively in that situation. God's strength has the opportunity to shine through in our weaknesses. And the point is this. God uses broken people to fulfill his unbreakable promises. That's basically the story of chapter 2. And so I just want to tell you this today before we really get into the, looking at the whole thing of faith. Uh, it's for everyone who does not feel that they are qualified to be a part of the story, God's story... That God is writing, well, it's too late for you because uh, you've done too many wrong things. You've had 
you've had a lot of chances, you blew them, uh, and you don't have the resources or the gifts, or talents that you think you need to be used by God, look at Sarah and Abraham and just look at all the other people in Scripture that God has used. And it may not make sense on paper, but it gives God the opportunity to be glorified, which is what the story is ultimately all about. And let me tell you, if you feel like you're one of those people that God can't use, you may be surprised. I mean, there's been people over history in the last, just recent history, that have been surprised how God's used them. I mean, when God decided to to build a, a national prison ministry, I mean, who did he cho- choose to do that? An ex-con named Charles Colson. When God wants to teach us about joy, who is, who is the one person in the world he uses to teach us about joy? A quadriplegic named Johnny Erickson Tata. When God wants to wants to teach us about grace and hope, he uses a struggling addict. His name was Josh Hamilton. And recently in history, in the last year or so, when he wants to take, you know, the, the persons that we think of who are proud, athletic, and, 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 you know, and never, you know, they're so pompous sometimes as like, you know, professional athletes, he, he uses a, a, a little-known Asian-American Harvard grad named Jeremy Lin to bring him glory. See, God uses the most unexpected people to bring him glory. He uses them because he chooses to do that. And so we come today to the, the chapter two of the story and, and we come to talk about, you know, why would God use, what, what did Abraham and Sarah have? The one thing that they had that God could use. The only thing they had going for him. And it's one word. Faith. Faith. Just trusting in God. It had nothing to do with their abilities. Nothing to do with, with, with their background. It had nothing to do with those things. So we come to Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 tells us that Abraham, uh, God tells Abraham to take his family and leave his homeland of Haran. Now Haran was a place that was close to the border of Turkey and Syria. And, and, and he said, I want you to go to a place. And he didn't even tell him where he was going. He says, like, I want you to get in your car and just start driving. He just wants him to go. And as senior citizens, my guess would have been that they were probably pretty comfortable where they had lived and they had no thoughts of moving. Change would have been hard for them. They're just told to get up and go, but God doesn't tell them where they're going. And yet there's this Abraham's response we read in verse 4 of chapter 12. So Abraham did what? He went. He just got up and went. That's faith. Hebrews 11.8 describes it this way. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So what is faith? Number one is this. Faith is obeying God when you don't know where you're going. Faith is obeying God when you don't know where you're going. It's it's obeying God and saying, God, this doesn't totally make sense to me, but I'm going to go anyway. It's kind of like what happens. uh, Any of you that know my wife, uh, know that she is really into health and nutrition, okay? If you don't, if you've ever been my wife more than five minutes, you know she's in health and nutrition. Um, we were at Miracle Camp, and what do we talk about the whole time at Miracle Camp? Palmasanos. Uh, they, they made the mistake of sitting with us at, at dinner every day. No, they, they chose to do that. I don't know why, you know? Uh, you know, young family, you know, they have all here, they sit with us. But anyway, we had this conversation. Well, anyway, my wife, you know, she, she constantly, the, the good thing is I gave her an iPad last year for, for her birthday. The bad thing is I gave her an iPad last year for her birthday. Because we shared a, a Barnes and Nobles account. And every book she buys pops up on my iPad. 
Oh, my gosh. I cannot tell you how many health and nutrition books I have on my iPad, which have never been read. And so my wife finally got frustrated with me and said, honey, she says, she says, I want you. She's passionate about this. She says, honey, I want you to read this because I'm so I'm, I want you to be healthy and, and, and understand this. And, and she says, if, if you just read this one book, she told me this one book to read. Well, I've read about two chapters of it so far. Well, the issue was, and I said, honey, you don't understand. I'm doing all the things you told me that it says in that book to do. But you got to understand. I said, no, no, I'm doing it. I have faith. I have faith in you that you know what you're talking about. See, I'm doing, I'm not, see, so often the problem is, is we can learn about something. We can learn about the story. And I, and I hope we just don't go through the next uh, 30, we, we're in week 30 right now of 31, okay? I, I hope we don't go through the next 30 weeks and you learn about the story, but all you do is learn. You just read. I hope you do. Because the issue to faith, faith is actually doing something about what we learn. It's, uh, so, so because after God told Abram to leave his home, God promised that he would be the father of a great nation. And there were all kinds of objections that Abraham could have had. But in Genesis 15, 6, it says what, what it says. It says Abraham believed God. He believed God. In Romans 4, verses 18 and 21, it talks about Abraham. I said it's, he's mentioned 75 times in the New Testament. It says this. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, by the way, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Boy, isn't it encouraging? To be the fa- you've been called to be the father uh, of, of a multitude. I mean, you've even named that. And, and this is what's it. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Secondly, what faith is, not only faith is obeying God when you don't know where you're going, faith is also believing God against all hope. It's believing God against all hope. That's what faith is as well. You know, when things don't look exactly the way you think they're going to be, it's believing God against all hope. That's what Abraham did. You know, living, living out the story in our life, living God's story in our life is really about one question. Just one question. Do I believe God? Do I believe God? Do I believe God knows what is best for my marriage? Do I believe God knows how I should use my resources best? Do I believe that God really loves me? Do I believe when things aren't going well? Do I believe in God and know He loves me even when things aren't going well? Do I believe God? Faith is believing God against all hope. I can't, I'll never forget many, many years ago. I don't know how many years. It's been a long time. It's been probably 25 years ago. In Virginia, when I was a pastor there, we had some, we had some good friends there that we still can't stay in contact with. And actually, he moved from Virginia, and now he teaches at Ohio State. Um, but I'll never forget, they were going through, and, and his wife, uh, his, uh, Sonny's his son, Doris, and Doris's wife was uh, pregnant with their first child. And, and they were going through a regular pregnancy. Everything seemed great. And it was the week that she was supposed to deliver, and, and I get a call from Sonny. And Sonny says, run to the hospital, please. And I come over there, and, and, and Doris had gone for her last checkup, and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And I uh, discovered the baby, you know, last week had died. 
and say we're going to you know, deliver the baby and, and deal with stuff. And as I sit in the, in, the, uh, in the hospital room with Sonny, my good friend, he looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, he said these words to me. He said, I guess I'm going to find out what I really believe now. You know, when things don't look too good, because this is a family that wanted children, they eventually had a couple of kids. They're healthy and fine. But see, faith is not believing that God will do whatever I want him to do. Faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do. God promises to never leave us or forsake us, even in the tough times. Sometimes we say we believe, but we might do what, you know, Sarah, Sarah and Abraham said they believed. Yeah, God, we believe that you're going to do this. We'll even move. We'll go our own way. But then we see them doing something really dumb. Abraham and Sarah believe God, but they decide that God is not going fast enough. And so they decide to take matters into their own hands. And in Genesis chapter 16, we read this in verses 1 and 2. Now, Sarah, and this was before she became Sarai, before she became Sarah Abrams, before he became Abraham, Abram's wife had borne him no children. God had made this promise to them. But they had not had a child. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I could build a family through her. And so Abram, being the great man of faith, said, sure, let's do that. That's what it says. He says he agreed to it. Now, before we jump up and down and scream and say, man, what a, a bunch of evil people here. That was a fairly common practice in that day, sadly enough. You know, but before of all the other ways of dealing with uh, infertilization, stuff like that, the thing was is that in that day and age, it was fairly common. But the thing is, is these were people of faith. And, the, and God had not, he had promised, and, and, and some years had passed, and, and Sarah had not gotten pregnant. And so they're thinking, well, God's not going to do it, so let's help God along a little bit. Because God just can't, you know, we trust God. Uh, we're committed to God's destination, but we're not necessarily uh, really keyed into the directions on how to get there. We're going to kind of do it our own way. And, you know, the thing is, as I thought about that, as I was reading that this week, I thought about all the stuff that's happening over the Middle East right now. Because you know what happened because of what Abraham and Sarah did? They decided to take matters into their own hand. And their, and the, the, uh, their, their servant named Hagar had a child. And it says in verse chapter, chapter Genesis 16, 12, it says, um, it says this about the outcome of that, the consequences of them doing this. It says his hand, talking about the child, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Uh, many people believe that basically Isaac, the son that eventually is born to Abraham and Sarah, he is the father of the Jewish nation. And Ishmael, who was the the son by Hagar of of, of Abraham as well. He's often seen as the father of the Arab nation. And thousands of years later, we see chaos. When we try to take God's, help God along with the plants because we're impatient. So, we could spend some time there, but we're not. But today I want to just kind of talk as uh, we kind of conclude this this section though talking about probably the most the most uh well-known story in all of and all of uh, all of, ch- of chapter chapter two of the story uh and it's a story that um, many of us have read before 
uh, in Genesis chapter 22, um, where we come to the place where, and and I haven't, I've skipped over a lot of stuff, I know. Eventually, though, we know the story that Abraham and Sarah have a child in the old age, in their old age. It's a, it's the child of promise. And, uh, and you know, this is something they've been looking forward to for a long time. And we read this in Genesis 22. It says, in Genesis 22, 1, it says this was a test, what God is about to do in chapter 22. But I, I say this to you, Abraham didn't know it was a test when he went into this in chapter 22. What's about to happen here? Because in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, sometime it says this, sometime later God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then he said, God, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Um, okay, let's go back here. The beginning of this whole thing, chapter 12. What does God promise Abraham? I'm going to make you a father of, of, of a great nation. Your, your descendants will be so many that, that there will be, there will be so many that there'll be more than the stars can be counted. You look up at the sky. It's that many. That's what's going to happen. That's my plan. That's God's plan. And God said, because it's me, I will make it happen. And then as we read through the rest of the chapters, we see, you know, they take matters into their own hands and, and they have another, uh, Hagar has a child, but then eventually Abraham and Sarah have a child. And they're very, very old at this time when they have the child. And they're thinking, okay, this is exactly what God told us he was going to do. It's a miraculous thing that's happened here. But then God tells them in chapter 22, this, this thing about, you know, doing this. Now, it's interesting because nowhere else in Scripture does God ever tell people to do human sacrifices. Nowhere. This is not something that was done. I mean, animal sacrifices, yes, but not a human sacrifice. And, and, and so we notice in verse 3, it says, after God tells him to do this, it says this. Verse 3, early the next morning. If God had told you, hey, I want you to go up to this place, and I want you to go, and I want you to sacrifice your child, would your first thing you do is get up early the next morning to do that? It's like almost Abraham was anxious to do God's will. He was, he, he was going forward with it. Surely he had all kinds of questions and doubts about why God would ask him to do this. But then in verse chapter 22, verse 5, he says this to his servant. And there's a key here to show what, something about his faith once again. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And then he says this, we will worship and then we will come back. Notice the word we. We will worship, and then we will come back. Who's we? The only two people going is Abraham and Isaac. But God has told Abraham, he said, I want you to go and sacrifice him, and Abraham is willing to go do that. What is the thought process that, that Abraham is going to right here? We, later on, we re- read that he, he thought that God would raise him from the dead. I mean, once again, I, I talked about this last week. We get all hung up with details sometimes in Scripture. And I said, you know, last week we get hung up sometimes with the whole creation story because we think that, well, God, did he literally do it in seven days? Or, or did it take this? You know, the God I believe in can do anything that, that quickly. It doesn't take any, we don't have to worry about the details. And obviously, 
Abraham wasn't worrying too much about the details here. He was saying, God, you told me you were going to do this. And by faith, I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust in you because I just choose to do that. If there's some way you've told me to go and sacrifice him in some way, Isaac and I will be back here. We will be back. See, faith, this is the third thing. Faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. Faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but if I would have seen this, I would have not. I would have said, God, you, you did this. Why? This doesn't make sense. But we read in verse 6 and through 14, we read these words. It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went to, on together. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Good question. You know, I'm not clued in on what's going to happen here. Where is those things? Then Abraham answered, God himself. And Abraham gives this really, it's kind of like a deceptive answer. But it's really a true answer too. It says, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them went on together. And when they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. So far, so good. But then it says in the next verse, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He was going all the way. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught up by its horns, and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. You know, I don't know about you, but it would be it would have been real good if it would. Of course, it wouldn't take any faith if God had given Abraham the the whole picture. If he just said, "Hey, here's the here's the the cover of the box for the puzzle." And here you can see the whole thing laid out before you. He said, this is what's going to happen before it happens. But the issue with that is what? It takes no faith if you have the whole picture. There is no trust if you have the whole picture. Trusting in God here meant that Abraham only had a part of the picture. He only had pieces of the puzzle. But he had to take those pieces. And because they were from God, what he had to do is he had to trust that God ultimately was going to work everything out. That God ultimately had this bigger purpose, this bigger plan for his life. You know, it's frustrating when you try to make a puzzle and have no picture. But it might even be more frustrating, and this has happened to me before, when you are working a puzzle and you come to the end and there's one piece missing. Ever done that? Oh, I hate that. I mean, you work for hours, maybe days on this intricate puzzle, and you come to the end. Man, if you live in a household with little kids, you know that's just an accepted thing. Because <laughs> the pieces will get lost somewhere along the way. The one piece that would complete the puzzle. But I want to say to us today this. We were made to play a part in God's story. And if we have placed our faith and our, and our trust in God, we are the missing piece. 
See, Abraham was not chosen by God because he was qualified, not because he deserved it, but because he had faith. And on this day, God is calling all of us to be a missing piece, not because we're qualified, not because we deserve it, but because we have faith that we placed our trust in his plan. And his purpose for our life. That's what the big picture is all about. Abraham, you know, man, it just didn't make any sense. Nothing makes sense in that story. Not one thing makes sense in that whole story from a logical standpoint. But when we stand back and we see God's big, bigger plan, it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Because we see God at work in the midst of all the other things that are going on. See, that's the upper story. Abraham's story is the lower story. But God, you, you know, sometimes all we do is we focus on our lower story. What's going on for us today? The struggle that we're going through today. But God says, trust me. If you will, if you'll place your trust in me and through my, and my, through, and my son, Jesus Christ, he says, I don't care what you're going through and where you've been. I've got a plan and a purpose for you. I want you to be a part of my story. And so today, as we conclude this, this part of the story, the big story of God, I would ask you, where are you in God's story? You know, you, you, there's several ways of describing where we are. You know, if we were to look at your life and ask, you know, where does God fit in? What part of it does he fit into? And some of you may say, well, your story would be described, your heading would be no way. God's no way involved. <laughs> And you showed up at church today because, well, somebody's been badgering you to do that, and so you finally showed up. And, and then some of us, you know, our story, the heading of our story, and the, we're, it, it might be, well, halfway, halfway. You know, God's a part of my life, but just part of my life. And so I really, you know, I trust him when I want to, and sometimes I don't. And so I really don't. He's part of the, my life. He's only halfway. But God wants us to be all the way. He wants us to be the missing. He wants the, the puzzle to fit together. And the only way it fits together is for us to place our trust and faith in him. So if you've never done that today, I would encourage you to consider that. I would encourage you following our service today. There's going to be our prayer room over here going out these doors, following our closing song, that you can go and talk to someone about how do you take the next step you need to take with God, where it may be. How do you place your faith and your trust in him? Hey, folks, I mean, I know some, I've talked to a lot of folks here at this church. You've got, you're a lot of smart people here. You really are. But I'm telling you, you never have all your questions answered. And if you have to wait to have all your questions answered before you can say yes to Jesus Christ, you'll never say yes. There's only one question that you have to answer. What am I going to do? Am I going to trust God? Do I trust God? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.